Hello, Theo. Greetings. Welcome to the Theo Pop Culture Smackdown, yes. where our topic is still this week the Great Schism. And I bet you think we are going to debate should the schism have happened or who was right, but we're not. No, we're doing something much more fun. I mean, I think people can, you know, look, students, you can naturally have that debate about the schism, like who should have mm-hmm. schismed and who shouldn't mm-hmm. have. Like, have that debate in the hallways. I think that's a have great it in dorm your rooms. room have it conversation. With your yeah, for sure. Have it in the streets. Yep. Yep, take it to the streets. Have it with your parents. Don't argue with your parents about theology. And if you do, do not reference <laughs> us or this class. Yeah, Can we you don't just wanna... please do us that favor? <laughs> don't get don't us drag in us trouble. into your problems. Don't take your rebellion and your problem and then try to blame it on us. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's my message for today. <laughs> and scene. And we're done. We're yeah. done. Okay. No, uh, we're not done. No, we're going to talk about something kind of fun that is one of the, um, one of the big issues. Mm. If you remember from the lecture, uh, in the church, East versus West, had to do with the nature of the ministry itself mm-hmm. and whether or not a minister could be married and have sex or if they had to be celibate. Mm-hmm. And anything that has to do with that topic is just interesting in and of itself. Sex is one of the mo- one of one of the few inherently interesting yeah, topics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's like You don't need to explain it. Money, power Sex, like I religion, I guess. So this class is just putting all that together. We're just putting it all in, into one interesting smackdown pop well, culture. Y- you know, smackdown. in my master's, I think it was in my master's program, I had a professor um, who had said something like, you know, um, one reason why religions, and he was speaking from a secular perspective of a scholar of religions and so on. Yeah. But I think it's it's an interesting point to consider. He's like, one reason why religions will always be inherently interesting is that they tell people what to do sexually. Oh yes, that's true. All religions yeah, like basically yeah. boss people around with their bodies. Like in some, I, I think now there's, you know, you can you can tell for yourself students that there's a lot of debate about like, you know, what role the church should have and should there be different rules and so on. But it's at least this, like, look, God is gonna get involved in your business. That's so true. That's just a fact. Like, it's very uncomfortable <laughs> for most people. It's just a fact. It's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. So so we thought that it would be kind of fun and interesting to to talk about that a little bit, whether or not we are talking about whether or not priests should be celibate. Yep. And I think we can kind of extend priest into like pastor. So if sure. you're from a church that doesn't have right. priests, right. Um, like put pastor in your mind. Do you think that's a fair I extension? Do. I do think it's fair. And it also brings up an elephant in the room, which I think is helpful to just like lay out there, which is like the base, the, the big notable group that practices this are Catholics. Yes. And other groups don't like Eastern Orthodox priests are married. Mm-hmm. Anglican priests are married. Yes. If they um, want to be, if they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's another thing too, is like, um, you know, if they want to be right, like it's, it's, right. uh, it's, it's, it's not like a demand that like, Oh, in order to be a pastor, you have to marry it. Although you could ask yourself, like how many people who go to church have a lead pastor? If you're not Catholic, who's not married. It is quite rare. It's quite rare. Yes. Right. Like yes. I think, I think in some ways, and this, this I think goes to show how, yeah, just how difficult this topic is. I think if one did have a single pastor, there would be feelings for a lot of people, whether they're right or wrong that something was wrong. Oh, no, I think that that right? is 1000% true. In fact, I I know that because um, when I was a pastor's wife a while ago, my, my um, pastor spouse hired an unmarried 
person to oh. be the youth pastor. In fact, oh. hired two different people at different times that, mm. to be youth pastors who were unmarried. Yeah. And there was a significant amount of concern really? from certain church members. Yeah, because they felt like you couldn't minister faithfully, which is sort of wow. funny because there are lots of stories of married pastors you know, who, who do all kinds of shenanigans? Ministered. In fact, yeah. at the time that we're recording this in the news, there's a there's a prominent story about a prominent Christian figure who did some really, really, really bad and wrong things. Yeah. Like who was this, married? Who was married? Yeah. So and, but, it's actually like a false presumption. Well, and like, could Jesus have been a minister in your church, or what about the Apostle Paul? <laughs> right. Like, right. Right. Prime Christian examples. Of, yeah. Yeah. So that's so. a little weird, but I but I think that that's. Yeah, students, if you've never thought about that before, like the kind of marital status of your pastors, like you could think about that. Like, um, but but we do want to say to our Catholic students out there, like we realize that we're debating something that's kind of like peculiar to your church. And it your, might and your be, tradition, yeah, yeah, um, in a way. And so, and 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 I'm not a Catholic, um, but um, you know, I want to be able to think hard and and talk about things that even aren't my own church's experience, because that's part of what it means to be educated and to think is to like inhabit another person's experience and their views and just like see what it's like and talk about it. Yeah. I think maybe this is, you know, we're several weeks into the semester now. Maybe this is a good opportunity to just re-remind students what the SmackDown's about, which is, let's do that. We are two Christian people assuming two distinct, but both very um, traditionally Christian positions on a particular, you know, point of theology or Christian practice. Mm -hmm. And we are going to give the the most, the strongest point or the strongest argument we can for Mm -hmm. the position that we have taken. Mm -hmm. And then um, we will argue with each other in Christian charity. (laughs) <laughs> and you can, and here's the thing too, that I think is, this is, uh, you know, we're getting pretty soon here in the course, we're getting to get to be to the end game here where it's like, um, you know, maybe we're not there yet, but it's like, you know, at, at some point this course will end. You will no yes. longer have these melodious podcasts to grace your week. And oh, you know, very here's sad. the thing, this, <laughs> you got to make a sadder kind of like cadence there, go down, go downward. Um, you know, you can actually engage with other people in this kind of style, like doing research, thinking hard, talking, acknowledging the good that you see, and yet still maintaining your own convictions. Like that's, that's a pattern that you can totally live by. Yeah. That's what we hope for you. I think that's kind of our, you know, there on one level, this course is about learning big ideas and big, you know, important events and important people. Mm -hmm. But really, I think this is about a conversation and about, from my perspective, doing faithful Christian theology. And Mm -hmm. like, just as we would hope in Theo 101, it's, it's not necessarily about like, I have, you know, like mastered the Bible, right? Like, it's not about that. It's about, I think, really falling in love with learning about it and embracing a lifestyle of learning. So that's what we hope for you. Do you agree? Oh, Dr. Doke? 100% agreed. We love, every now and then we get emails from students that just want to like be nerds about the Bible or history or theology with us. And it is the best. So that's what we hope for you for the rest of your lives. You will mm, embrace that. Beautiful hope. Yeah. But let us put this kumbaya fest aside <laughs> and get into the debate. Yes. Should priests or lead ministers of churches, let's just say, we're, we're going to expand it out a little bit, yeah. be celibate without sex, without marriage. Presuming sex and marriage go together, like you wouldn't be married and not have sex. I guess yeah. the cel- notion it's, of celibacy- It's unusual for that to notion happen. notion of celibacy would assume those two things are together. So we'll just conflate those two ideas mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. now. Um, we got to have a pro and we got to have a con. Yep. 
Yep. Um, even those two words kind of prejudice the debate. Pro seems pro and con's con like, Ugh. Con. like the con man and the pro, the professional, like <laughs> horrible. All right, let's do the coin flip. Um, yes. Okay. You do the coin flip the, because the little... I do the, I tickle the ivories. Let me get her up here. <laughs> I just Googled coin and now I'm getting all this stuff for like coin market stuff, oh. not coin flip. I'm going up in the register a little bit for flip. this one. Okay. Oh, oh I'm so sorry, students. That is a moment. I had no idea. That is a moment that will live in infamy right there. Someone's going to meme that. I'm, I'm going to hear that. Someone's like, going to meme I'm that. I'm going to hear that at three in the morning. I'm sorry. Dogs but everywhere are like dying too right much. now. Too much. Too much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Call it in the air. I'm flipping again. Okay. Go for it. Heads. You are correct. Yes. Okay. I'm taking the pro celibacy Of course position. you are. Of course you are. Because it sounds yes. better. Pro, pro. You're <laughs> yeah. the professional. Okay. Three yep. minutes on your mark. Okay. Wait. I meant now? like you decide. Oh, okay. Now. Go. All right. Students of Theo 102, I am a pastor's kid and a pastor's wife. Mm. And I am here to argue that celibacy is the way Ooh. for Christian ministers. First of all, there are practical reasons for this. If there are any pastor's kids in the listenership here, and I know there are because George Fox attracts a lot of different pastor's kids, you know how intense and how difficult it is on a pastor's family. Mm. Did your parent choose um, the ministry? Yes. Did God choose the ministry? Yes. Why does it have to include the pastor's family? So for practical reasons for the pastor's family, it just does not work, right? Um, and also the practical reasons um, overlap in into the historical reasons for it. So why did celibacy develop as a practice? Well, one of the reasons why um, celibate clergy were important in the um, development of the church is because it had to do with how the, the power of um, the church was established. Like, do we want to establish power based on nepotism? So like in, in the olden days, leaders would pass their power down to children, even like the really undeserving and dysfunctional children. So that's okay for kings. That's not okay for churches. So you can't have like authority passed down on that way. You need to have authority passed down for church leadership based on gifting and gifting alone, mm. gift that comes from God. So celibate priests ensure that because they don't have children to pass property down to. Um, another reason is just economics. Like it's hard to, for a church to support pastors in this particular moment in time. And it's extra hard for pastors to support their families as well. There are also biblical reasons for this though. I think the the argument for celibacy that I find convincing is this idea of Jesus as um, the bridegroom and the church as the bride. If the priest is taking on the role of um, the, the leadership in um, as a physical like representative of that bride bridegroom relationship, um, the priest doesn't necessarily need to be to have any other like um, intimate close relationship other than to the church, the bride and the bridegroom. Um, there's a great verse about um, in Luke 18 where um, it talks about what it means to follow Jesus, and it, Peter says, "Look." Um, we've left our homes and followed you to Jesus. And he said to them, 
Um, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come um, in internal life or eternal life. 15 seconds. Okay. So that um, this is for the kingdom. Matthew 19 also talks about becoming a eunuch for the kingdom. So that like seems to talk about um, celibacy as like for the sake of Christ. And then finally, is it easy? No, it's not easy. Um, that's why in many Roman Catholic services, they talk about praying for people who are in the vocation. So if you are, um, this is a difficult calling, and that's why the whole church prays for the person. I even gave you 10. And blessed calling. I gave you 10 extra seconds there because I was like. I was giving it my all. Let's make sure that we get this last point out. I in don't, favor. I don't want to hold the That was pro, generous of you. I don't want to hold the pro back <laughs> okay. from getting the pro argument out <laughs> okay. there. Okay. Wait, I forgot my accompaniment. Oh, okay. okay. That, that, that was, that was spooky. That was, that was, that was groovy. <laughs> that was groovy. Do a little bit more of that. Just a little bit more. Just, okay. to, just to get people excited for the con argument here. Okay. They're excited now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You're excited. All right. I've got the three minute timer. Go. <laughs> There's no scriptural mandate that head ministers, priests, pastors, et cetera, be celibate. Yes. Jesus was, was a single guy. Yes. Paul. These are great examples, but there's no mandate for that. And there are many, many other examples of leaders of, of faith in scripture that were married. My brief research, check on it yourselves. I'm not a church historian, but I can, you know, look. <laughs> suggests that priestly celibacy started, as was mentioned, around the year 1000 AD or in the 11th century. And, and actually was not for, part of formal, what we might call canon law in the Catholic church until, drum roll, 1917. Now, look, there's a fallacy you can engage in called the genetic fallacy, meaning if you can show that something started at a certain point and was late in the history of the thing, that means it's wrong. No, that's not true. That is a fallacy. But it is revealing to consider that this is not a practice that dates back to the earliest church in terms of a formal thing. Numbers. The church needs more ministers. Ministers. Celibacy is a rare calling. Do the math. Um, the historical property argument Dr. Payne made, the year 1200 called and wants its argument back. <laughs> That is not the way that, that things work now. So that's, in, that's an interesting historical point from a historian, but not a reason to do something now. Relating to issues of families, sex, married life, it's easier to deal with these things, or at least it could be, though not impossible if celibate, if one is married. There's a relatability there. Um, one has to also be like super careful, I think, that the celibacy calling is in fact real and natural for that person. If not, obviously there are going to be problems with that. Um, marriage is a huge scriptural metaphor for God. Uh, and for people. And the minister and the priest can live that out in real time in the flesh as a married example. Not as a requirement, you know. Um, the question here also is, are we talking about every head minister or someone called a priest to be celibate? Or can different groups have different systems? Like maybe some groups, you know, if people want to gravitate toward a system like that, fine. I'm okay with a mixed system. Um, some have this gift of celibacy, this grace that's given to them to live in a particular way, devoted to God in a very particular way, not as a higher or a lower calling, but in a particular way. Perhaps it's true that more people should even take up that calling. Um, and, 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 but I, I worry that saying priests have to be celibate lets other people off the hook. Like, okay, they're doing it. It's those people. And therefore I don't have to. So yes, the celibacy thing is real. It's, it's a Christian journey and a path and it could involve priests and pastors, but like mandating that seems to like lay down a rule where life is complicated. You have 32 seconds. I'm done. That's it. Oh, That's my mic drop, mic drop. Mic drop, mic drop. Okay, okay. Dropped it. I, you know, I think that you did a great job representing oh. the not embracing celibacy for the pastoral life 
Um, and I thought one of the things that I thought you really liked or you did really well was the very first point, mm-hmm. which is there's no scriptural mandate mm-hmm. that pastors or priests ha- actually have to be celibate. That's true. Right. That is true. Right. So I think that that's probably, to me, I, I'm like, right. Um, you know, going full into the argument that that priests ought to be is an extra step and it is extra right. biblical. Right. Yeah. Um, I thought uh, th- I, there were a couple of good points that you made. The first one is just an appeal to your own life. And I, I, <laughs> I think the practical reasons I, I laughed a little bit at your argument, like, okay, so a pastor feels a calling. You don't have to drag all kinds of other people into this. I mean, you could, that one could go either way, but I thought, okay, as someone who grew up in a system like this and who participated in mm-hmm. it in a sense, although I don't know if you had your kids after really, you know, the pastoral, the pastor's wife period ended. Um, in your life still, I thought that that's, it's powerful to at least be able to come from a perspective like that and say, Hey, I've done this. I've been a part of this. And the celibacy could, could be, uh, really the way to, uh, to do this. Um, the, the example too, with, 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 you know, leaving home and parent and, and wife and mother and children that Jesus says, I mean, there's a strong example there. Even Jesus himself, if you want to emulate Jesus, like Jesus was single. And I think that's ignored too much that Jesus was actually single. Jesus was a unmarried single guy. I mean, as far as we know, I know there are conspiracy theories. Sure, about sure, sure. Jesus being like, married, but uh, as far as we know, even the best like historians that aren't even necessarily like Christian, Christian scholars yeah. acknowledge that Jesus was probably single. Yes, yes, and that's real. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of, the, and we're going to start talking about this in the next um, several weeks. Is uh, a lot of um, like our our country is very formed by. Protestantism, and we're going to get to what that is here in a little bit. But this, um, they really rejected celibacy. So they're like uh, churches who come from the Western Church but aren't Catholic mm-hmm. um, tend to have a really strong reaction against celibacy, and so they mm-hmm. tend to prop up um, married life mm-hmm. for pastors, and that can be kind of painful for pastors' families. Uh, totally. And I, I think uh, th- there's a, a, a major American theologian named Stanley Hauerwas. He, mm-hmm. he's, he's still a professor at Duke, I think now, but think he's, so. he's getting older. But he, you know, he has an essay that I read that I thought was very provocative. He makes a point and he says, why is there this assumption that the natural state of Christian life is being married? Oh, it's yeah. not. It's it's in fact the natural state of Christian life, which might even seem to be opposed to biological naturalness mm-hmm. or what seems to be your own emotional or sexual naturalness is in fact, it's different. This is what the church calls you to sometimes is a way of living, quote, naturally, which is different from what the world considers natural. And it is in fact being single. I think the title of that essay, if, the, if it's the one that I remember, yeah. is something like Jesus, the anti-family values <laughs> something, you know, yeah, like yeah, he yeah. basically That's says right. like, why are we putting the nuclear family on this idolatrous pedestal when Jesus himself lived a lot differently. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I want to push back on one of the things that you said. All right. I loved, by the way, I love the rhetoric of the year 1200 called and wants its (laughs) argument back. That was funny. (laughs) Funny. I tried to make a joke. I'm going to tell you that's not true though. That is not true because think think in your mind about the number of non-denominational American churches Mm -hmm. wherein a son or son-in-law inherits a church and is clearly terrible at their job. There are also examples where they're really great at their job and really gifted, but shouldn't they get that job just because God is calling them into the ministry and not because they're the son. It's usually son. And I'm saying there, there ought to be daughters. I'm not saying that, that, but it's, it's generally, I know what you're saying, you know, it's generally like there's a lot of nepotism, I think in, 
in churches still to totally. this day. You're totally, so. you're totally right. I agree 100%. <laughs> and it should be, churches should not allow that kind of thing to happen. <laughs> it does happen. So, um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, I thought you, I thought you made a really strong case. In fact, I'm going to guess that most of the students are going to side with with Team Doke on this Well, they're, they're going to side with Team Doke because it's been their own experience. But I do think students need to um, need to really carefully consider whether that view is actually correct. Yeah. Like, what, I, think- <laughs> I mean, just because it was your experience and you saw it doesn't mean that it's right. And just because it seems natural to you. I mean, this is the whole point of theology is like there might be things. It's kind of like imagine if you started doing pole vaulting. I've never pole vaulted before. Perhaps there's a pole vaulter listening to this. <laughs> I bet if someone taught me to pole vault, there'd be things I would naturally want to do to like make it work. But if I had a coach, that coach might be like, the way you're oh, holding yeah, that, yeah, yeah. total rookie mistake. No, you hold it like this. I'm like, no, that feels wrong. And, right. he, and he's going to be like, nope, trust me. Or she's going to be like, nope, yep. you got to tuck yep. your elbow. And even if it feels wrong, because when you're up there at 20 feet, it's going to make a difference because, and then I'm going to do it. And it's like, yeah. so too, so too. Dear students. In the Christian life, there are going to be things that maybe don't feel right, but you're being called to a totally regenerate new life. And there are going to be some things that at first don't feel right because we've been doing them in our sinful nature wrongly. And so we can't just take like what feels natural to us or what we saw as an ultimate perfect pattern for like what is right. We really have to be transformed. Yeah. I mean, I really love what you said because I'm arguing your point. The now. scriptures. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's why I love it. No, but yeah. what I love about that is that, you know, when we talk about like what it means to become a Christian, we often use language of repentance, mm-hmm. which means in part like being open to that, totally. like God is going to change you, everything about you. So I we I hope that we are modeling for you students that kind of posture where we just want to be open and we want to hear, mm-hmm. hear from our fellow Christians on these matters. Okay, well, we've been, we've argued, yep. we've made right. our case. Now it's give time to the, give us the reveal music. Drum roll and... Oh, that wow. sounded pretty good. That was that was good. <laughs> that was at the upper end of what my brain can can handle without, without starting to I'm cry. I'm gonna go a little lower. Just a little. Just bring it down slightly. Okay. Doctor Payne, what's your actual view on this? Um, my actual view is um neither of these two positions, Ooh. but I I would say that um we ought to be Protestant churches ought to be much more open to the call of celibacy and ought to promote it mm-hmm. because I think that there this weird pressure and assumption that the married life is going to somehow be a less sinful ministry is first off, just not true. It's, like, yeah, it's plenty it's of people yeah. sin while married. Um, and so um, I think that, and, and because the, the ministry is very difficult and, and it is a hard calling. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are called to do it as families and it's awesome and yay for them. I was, you know, talking from, I I was trying to win an argument there back there. My parents, you know, they're wonderful things about growing up in the church and I'm really thankful for that upbringing. Um, but I think that there are many people who would and could minister in beautiful ways, um, in that kind of traditional celibate model. So that's my own position. Hmm. What about you? Well put. Um, I think that, I I think that the, the Catholic practice of celibacy is beautiful and holy. And I think that they're a model for what that kind of devotion could look like. I think the biggest thing about it and, and, you know, um, in past versions of the Theo class, we've had, we had a Catholic priest work with us and do some lectures and stuff. Father Stephen Kenyon. Oh, Shout out he's to Father so Stephen. wonderful. We love you, Father Stephen. And one thing about Father Stephen that I just, and, and Father Stephen was a George Fox student actually. Um, mm-hmm. 
um, back in ye olden days. Not so olden, but you <laughs> yeah, know. few years. But ago. one thing is just to see him, even just to be in his physical presence, and just to see him, and to just hear him talk, and just to realize, like, this is just like a guy. You know, he's just like a young man, and he he really just. I mean, to make that devotion to the ministry that he made and to put that, like to put his money down in that sense yeah. on it of his, just his, his physicality and his life and to give that to God in that way. I just don't see how anyone could look at that and be like, oh, that's bad. That's you shouldn't right. exactly. have done that. Like, so I look at it and I'm like, the Catholic practice I think is gorgeous. I think it's a model. I think that many more pastors should be celibate and should be single or even just single and on their way to marriage, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think the idea of, of, of looking down on a single pastor is just, I, I feel actually, this is my real opinion, like love it or hate it. I, I feel, I feel like that's horrible. Yeah. It makes, I feel it, like that's horrible. It both makes no sense and is a mean, it's mean. It makes idea, no sense. <laughs> it's, it's just bad. Like, I think it's, uh, yeah, I just, I don't like that at all. I feel really offended at the idea that someone in a church would be like, I feel uncomfortable with a single pastor. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, you know, that, that's a place where I think you have to, as a congregant, as a Christian, you have to reorient the way that you're thinking, mm-hmm. not like ask like somehow, or, you know, and again, like you said, I think there are these false ideas about what a quote family is. I mean, yeah. In the medieval period, do you think like they had nuclear families like we do today? I think that they didn't. I think that the families looked really different. People lived in community yes. and in shared households of extended Big families. Extended, yes. That's not mm-hmm. what we call a nuclear family today behind a white picket fence, right? Right. And so I think that I think that um the kind of churches I've been a part of really need a, a serious rethinking of this. And it doesn't mean that we would go to celibacy um as a model for everybody, but it, it means that um we really would need to reorient our thinking around around hugely significant models for singleness and celibacy like Jesus and like the apostle Paul. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad that you brought up pastor or father Stephen because he, I remember when I first met him, I was like, I think this to use a Pentecostal term, he has an anointing. An anointing. Like you God has, it. has gifted this person. Well, no, I think there's a, there's, and it's not like a charisma either too. Like, Oh, he's so like, he's such a great speaker. He's so, yeah. he, he has Although a, he is a really good speaker. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's something that radiates in from, from, from his spirit and from mm-hmm. his calling and from what, you know, he has done and is doing and is trying to do and failing to do, but repenting and coming back to do for God in that ministry. Well, students were excited to hear your perspective on the role of marriage and in the ministry. Let's hear it. <laughs> you can always like,